0: How's everyone doing tonight? you ready for the word Me too well for time's sake, this is part two um, of a just a quick little mini series on prayer but for time's sake I'm not going to review if you weren't here last week, then I'm really sorry Just come along with us you'll kind of catch up but um We covered a lot of ground in a short time last week, so I am going to try to kind of stick that up on my blog this week sometimes. You can go on to with Tony if you want to listen to it, Um, but we're talking about prayer and we ended off last week talking about why we need to pray. And the bottom line is, is that it releases the power of God in the earth. In James 5, 16 and 17, it says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic, in it's working. And we kind of left off talking about Elijah. And um, we're going to go go back there in just a minute. But we're going to start with Hebrews chapter 6. Um, I didn't give them a list of scriptures, so they may or may not be on the big screens, but if you have a Bible or an iPod or a phone or whatever with a Bible app, you can open up to Hebrews 6. I'm going to read verses 18 and 19, and tonight the title of my message is, When It Doesn't Look Like God is Moving. And so last week we talked about what prayer is, what it looks like, why we need to pray. This week we're going to talk about when it doesn't look like God is moving. And this is the process of prayer what happens from asking to receiving? Because how many of you know there's some time in between there sometimes? And so we're going to look at some different components of that process of prayer what to do when it doesn't look like God is moving. And so we're going to read Hebrews 6, verses 18 and 19. And I'm going to read this in the contemporary English version. It might be a little bit different from yours. It says, God cannot tell lies. And so his promises and vows are two things that can never be changed. Amen. We have run to God for safety. Now his promises should greatly encourage us to take hold of the hope that is right in front of us. This hope is like a firm and steady anchor for our souls. In fact, hope reaches behind the curtain into that most holy place. And so one of the components that we need to hold on to in this process of prayer as we look at it tonight is hope. We're going to talk about hope tonight. And you know where hope is authored? What brings hope is the Word of God. In 1 John 5, it says that if we know His will... When we pray, then that we're praying according to his will, then we know that he hears us. And so it's his will, it's his word that authors hope on the inside of us. And that hope is an anchor for our souls. Because in this process of prayer, we're going to see that our souls can get tossed all around. That we can let go of hope. That we can tend to get discouraged. That different things can come up against us. And if we have hope in the word, then it's going to anchor us. And we're going to stay steady from start to finish. Who wants to be anchored? Amen. And so hope is a confident expectation of good. That's what the word hope means. It's a confident expectation of good. And I want to think about that word ex- expectation tonight. Expecting. And when we refer to pregnant women, we refer to them as expecting. expecting. The minute they take that pregnancy test, they're expecting, and it comes back positive, they're expecting to have a baby in nine months. It's a confident expectation that they are going to have a baby. There's no doubt in their mind at the end, a baby is going to come out, right? But how many of you know from pregnancy test to delivery, there's a lot of variables, right? We know for a surety at the end, a baby's going to come out but what kind of baby? Is it a boy or is it a girl? Right? When? It's generally 40 weeks from the time of conception, but the exact date, it's a variable. Am I going to have cravings? What am I going to crave? That's a variable. I had three pregnancies and I craved different things with all three of them. None of those pregnancies were the same. Am I going to gain weight or am I going to not gain weight? Everybody gains a little bit of weight. And I really didn't like those girls that only gained 20 pounds the whole time. Because I gained 50 to 60 pounds every time I got pregnant. It was just, no matter what I did, the first time I was real careful and I ate healthy and I really watched what I ate and I gained 50 pounds. And the second one, I ate whatever I wanted and McDonald's and whatever I wanted to put in my mouth, everything I wanted and I gained 50 pounds, nothing changed. But it's a variable. You really don't know from start to finish what that's going to look like. Who is the baby going to look like? Will the baby sleep good? (laughs) That's a big variable that everybody wants to know. So when you find out you're expecting, there's a confident expectation that you're going to have a baby, but there's a whole lot of variables in the middle, right? And it's kind of the same with prayer, When the Word authors that hope on the inside of you, when the promise comes, by His stripes you're healed, He's faithful to provide, you know, my God shall provide all of your needs, whatever that promise is for you. When it authors that hope, there's a confident expectation of the end, but there's a whole lot of process in the middle, and we're going to look at what to do tonight during that process, because to be honest, sometimes it really doesn't look like God's moving, does it? And so we're going to go back to Elijah and start there. And then we're going to move into the New Testament and look at another example. But if you'll go back first to 1 Kings chapter 18, we're going to kind of hop, skip, and jump through this chapter. In In verse 1, it says, After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah presented himself to Ahab. Okay, the word came, and it produced a confident expectation of rain on the inside of, Ahab, or of Elijah. And he said, God said, if you go present yourself to Ahab, I'm going to send the rain. So Elijah immediately goes to present himself to Ahab. So the word authored hope, and then it affected his actions. And so hope is always going to affect our actions. If we have a confident expectation of what God said is going to happen, then it's going to affect what we do. It's going to affect our obedience. It's going to affect what comes out of our mouth. It's going to affect what we think in our minds. It's going to affect what we do with our finances. It's going to affect what we do in our bodies. Our hope is going to affect our actions. If it doesn't, you need to go back up and check up on it, right? It's going to author hope, the word, and then that is going to affect your actions. It needs to. Like Pastor Michael said tonight, we have a part to play. And so Ahab went immediately, and he did his part, and he obeyed. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now, if you'll skip down to verse 16, in the middle there, Elijah bumps into Obadiah and says, where is Ahab? And they have this great conversation. And then in verse 16, it says, So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have you have abandoned the Lord's command and have followed the Baals, and they go on and on and on with their conversation. And now in verse 21, it's like the famous line, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the, the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And then comes the great confrontation. He tells all the prophets of Baal, you make a sacrifice to your God. I'm gonna send a sacrifice to my God. And whoever's God answers by fire, he is God, right? So in the beginning of the chapter, God authors hope on the inside of Elijah that it's going to rain he immediately goes to find Ahab and then we have this great confrontation and so if you kind of read on down the prophets of Baal do their thing And for hours, they're trying to get fire to fall down on their sacrifice, and it doesn't happen. And in verse 30, it says, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. And they came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. And Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes. He rebuilt the altar. And verse 33, it says, He arranged the wood. He cut the bull into pieces, and he laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering in the wood. And they did it. And in verse 34, it says, he said, do it again. And so they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it a third time. And the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench Now get a picture of this because we're three years into a drought. There isn't much water, but the word of the Lord authored so much hope in Elijah that rain was going to fall that day that he took, wasted, took all this water, precious commodity, and poured it on the sacrifice because he had such a confident expectation that rain was going to fall. And I can see the people in Israel that are going to do his bidding going, Are you sure? Are you sure you want to do this? this is water. We need this. We got to drink this. We got to cook with this. Are you sure? Yep, God said it's going to rain. I have a confident expectation that the rain is coming. You put all that water on the sacrifice. And so it affected his actions. Do you see hope? At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. The Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you are Lord, our God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also it licked up the water in the trench. Wow. What a mighty miracle. Skip down to 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. Elijah has such a confident expectation of rain that he's hearing things. The sky is still clear. It's bright blue. It doesn't even look like rain at this point. But he can hear it. There's such a confident expectation about it. But there's no visual evidence of it. At this point, there's no rain in sight. And Elijah's saying, you better go up there because it's going to rain. But it didn't look like rain at all. It didn't even look like God was moving over what he said he would do. But let's read on. Uh, 42, so Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. He prayed. Now I wonder what this conversation between Elijah and the Lord looked like because I can imagine it in my mind. All right, Lord, I really put myself out there. (laughs) We used up all the rest of the water that we had, so you really need to do something now. I can't see it, but I'm confident of it. Where is it? And then he turns to his servant and he says, go look. I'm sure something's coming. So the servant went and he came back and he said, there's nothing there. And so Elijah put his face between his knees again and prayed. All right, Lord. (laughs) Still, I don't see anything, but you said it's going to rain. So I have a confident expectation. I have a hope that it's going to rain and I'm holding on to that hope. And so I'm going to keep looking for evidence of it all right go look again and the servant went and looked again the second time and he came back and there was nothing so Elijah goes back and falls down on his knees to pray all right Lord now if I were you (laughs) I'd be sending some rain clouds here really soon because it's not looking like rain and we used up all the water and we're getting really desperate here and besides that you said it was going to rain it's got to rain So he sent his servant the third time, and guess what? Nothing. And the fourth time, nothing. And the fifth time, nothing. No physical evidence. No visual evidence that God was even on the scene, that he had meant what he said. No evidence of rain anywhere. But Elijah wasn't letting go, and he wasn't getting up, and he continued to release the power of God out of his mouth every time you pray and release the word of god and talk to god it pulls power from heaven to earth how many of you know that god could have sent rain without a single cloud he's not tied to our natural way that things work if he wanted to send rain without a cloud he could send rain without a cloud he already proved that he was god By setting a sacrifice doused in water on fire. Wet wood doesn't burn, but it does if God's involved. But God, in His mercy, sent a cloud the size of a man's hand. And Elijah said, That's all I need to see. It's going to rain. And guess what? It rained. And so sometimes we are in this process of prayer, of walking it out, and we have no visual evidence. And that's when it's easy to get discouraged. And that's when it's easy to give up. What do we do when it doesn't look like God is moving? You don't stop praying, that's for sure. You don't give up and stop releasing the power of God, that's for sure. When did Elijah stop praying? When there was evidence of change. When the power of God was visible. When it brought faith from heaven to earth. That's when he stopped. So when it doesn't look like God is doing, what do you do? You keep releasing the power of God and you hold on to the hope that the word of God authored because it will anchor you when everything that you see and everything that you hear is opposite of what the Word of God says. Amen? All right, let's look at another example. Go to the book of John. Chapter 11. And we're going to start in verse 1. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Translation, come here now and heal my brother. (laughs) So how many of us can agree that when Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus that they were praying And when you pray, it pulls the power of God. When we pray, it releases the power of God in our situation. They were calling on the power of God to come into their situation. So they prayed. Verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, the word of God, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he went immediately to heal him. Is that what it said? It says, Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, (laughs) to me, that does not look like love. Does it look like love to you? That would be like me being stranded with a flat tire on the side of the highway and calling Michael and saying, help, I need you and I need you right now. And then Michael saying, because I love you so much, I will be there in three days. (laughs) Now, how many of you can agree that I would not feel loved and cared for if that was his response, right? So that always just, made me laugh because he loved, you know, since Jesus loved him, he stayed where he was three days. So that doesn't look like love to me. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Verse 11, After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. They didn't quite get it. They weren't always on the ball, those disciples. (laughs) Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Okay, and so Jesus told them earlier in the chapter, this will not end in death. And now Jesus is telling them, Lazarus is dead. I wonder what his disciples thought. Wow, he's never been wrong before, and he is totally wrong. Wow. Wow. Can we trust him? Look, what's going on here? You said he wasn't going to die. But that's not what Jesus said, is it? Jesus said it wouldn't end in death. Okay. So then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us go along that we may die with him. Poor Thomas. He has issues. On his arrival, verse 17, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Okay. So I just want to take a break here, and then we're going to finish the story. But we have Mary and Martha praying, pulling on the power of God, Jesus loving him so much that he stays where he is two days, so that when he finally gets there, he's in the tomb four days. When it doesn't look like God is moving. So do you think to Mary and Martha it looked like there was any hope? They had hope to begin with, or they would have never asked They knew Jesus. They were close to him. They've heard the stories. They heard them straight from his mouth, I'm sure, when he was at their table about the healing of this one and the raising of this one and the healing of that one. And they knew if he could just get there, they would be healed or Lazarus would be healed. They had hope. Hope was authored because they knew the word. They knew the healer. They knew the power of God. And so they were pulling on that healing power to come and rescue their brother. And their hope died with Lazarus. God's process was not their process. Right? Hold on to that thought. Because we're looking at this process of prayer. And sometimes in between asking and receiving, we go through great valleys of something that looks hopeless. Their process was we prayed, Jesus stayed where he was, Lazarus didn't get healed, he died. Discouragement enters in when you let go of hope. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Discouragement. It's over. You're late This is your fault. You know, emotions are not bad. How many of you know that? Emotions are not bad. God has emotions. He gets angry. He can be grieved. He's full of joy. He loves. He hates. God has emotions, and he made us emotional. So emotions are not bad, but we need to not let them lead us. The best thing to do is what Mary did. She took her discouragement and her anger straight to God. She went straight to Jesus with it. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. What were you thinking? You stayed where you were. Why didn't you come right away? But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And after this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up, they followed her. Verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Let go of hope, holding on to discouragement, right? Why weren't you here? Why? Why weren't you here? I don't like your plan. This hurts me. Your process stinks. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply, lost myself, deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? And in verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there four days. Hopeless. She let go of her confident expectation of hope as soon as her plan didn't come to pass. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Their prayer was answered. The prayer that they prayed in the beginning, come heal my brother, it was answered. But I can guarantee you that that was not the process that they expected, nor did they want to go through. They had it planned out in their own mind that Jesus would come, they would heal Lazarus, and it would just be just like a lovely little miracle. There would be no grief. There would be no work. There would be no trial. This is it. My plan. This is the way it's going to be. And when his process was different than their process, they got discouraged and gave up hope. But Jesus came back and authored that hope to both of them. I am the resurrection and the life. Don't you believe your brother can rise? He kept encouraging them and offering hope. The process was completely different than they probably wanted. Their plan would never have included their brother dying. They were afraid of that. That's why they called for Jesus. But God was not afraid of it, God showed off on it. He showed himself strong on there in the tomb. He's not afraid of death. He's not afraid of debt. He's not afraid of depression. He's not afraid of oppression. He's not afraid of anything that scares us. He's not afraid of Ebola. He's not afraid of ISIS. He's not afraid of them. He's bigger, he's greater, he's mightier. he's stronger, he's more powerful. There's no foe that can withstand his powerful power. If he's all powerful, that leaves no power left for the enemy. None. The Bible says he walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So whom may he devour? Only the ones that don't know who they are and what they have. If you are bought by the blood and walking in the authority that God has given you, releasing power, there's nothing that can stand against you. Nothing that can stand against you. So what do you do when it doesn't look like he's moving? Like Mary and Martha, you send for him. And you go to him and you give him everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Every ugly emotion that you're going through, he's not afraid of them. He's not going to be mad at you for being mad at him. They were mad at him. Mary and Martha were mad at God. And you know what he did? He loved them and said, oh, come on, calm down. I'm bigger. I'm not done here. I said it wouldn't end in death. I never said it wouldn't go through death. So what do we do when it doesn't look like God is moving? What do we do when his process doesn't match our process? How many of you know who Darlene Check is? She said, be the worship pastor at Hillsong. She and her husband started a church somewhere else in Australia. And it, was it this year? Recently, she was diagnosed with breast cancer and had to have an emergency. I think it was a double mastectomy. I can't remember if it was single or double. Emergency mastectomy with chemo and radiation. That was the prognosis that they gave her. And she, I read something that she wrote about it And she said, I really wanted God to just heal me. But he said, I will walk you through the surgery. And I will walk you through the chemo. And I will walk you through the radiation. And you're going to go through this into victory. Why? Why is it that sometimes some people get an immediate healing, and some people have to walk through surgery? I don't know. I don't. You know, um, sometimes when I, I'm studying and I'm thinking of him and I'm thinking about trust and studying on trust, and that seems to be a big word the last few years in my relationship with God, trust. Come on, Trust. And um, I always picture that trust fall, you know, where someone stands behind you, and do you trust them enough to fall back that they're going to catch you? And there's one that I saw on the Internet of these two little girls. Has anybody seen the two girls? It's the trust fall fail. Have anybody seen it? And the girl standing there, she goes, okay, all you got to do is fall, and I'll catch you. All right, trust me, trust me. All you got to do is fall, and I'll catch you. So the little girl standing in front of her, and the other one's back there. Ready to catch her? And one, two, three, and the little girl falls forward. (laughs) What do you do when the trust fall fails with God? Have you ever had the trust fall fail with God? I have a lot of times. (laughs) And I've had it succeed with God. I, I don't know why one situation is different than another. Even in my own life, I broke my foot in 2010. I walked on it for five weeks because I just wasn't quite sure if it, was, if I should, you know, maybe it's just bruised or something. So five weeks later, I finally get an x-ray and here it's broken. And so I have to be completely off it, no weight on it, just crutches. If I put my weight on it, it's going to mess it up. And they wouldn't even give me a boot because they didn't want me to even try to put weight on it. And so six weeks later, they give me the all clear, which was a good thing because we were leaving for the beach and who wants to be on crutches at the beach. And so then we were there for three weeks. It was such a blessing. But um, <laughs> came back and guess what? My foot, the whole time we were gone, terrible pain. The, after we came back, terrible pain. Like for five more weeks after, I'm in horrible pain to the point where I was ready to just go back and get another x-ray. I didn't think it was completely healed. And we actually had a worship night in here. I was going to go call the doctor on Monday. We had a worship night on Saturday. And um, Pastor Alan Weeby and Pastor Michael were doing it. And Pastor Alan Weeby, I'm just sitting out here Just sitting worshiping, and the pain was so bad, I had to sit down. And um, he said, God is working healing in this place right now. Just lift your hands up and receive it. And I said, oh, Father, I need it. I receive it. And something popped in my foot. I could hear it pop in my foot, and the pain was completely gone and never came back. Like that. Now, in March of this year, my other foot started hurting horribly. I knew it's not broken or anything. It's plantar fasciitis, but that's in May. So I'm like, oh, father, you healed this one, right? This is a piece of cake. This isn't even broken. This is just ligament stuff, you know, it still hurts. (laughs) And I speak the word of God over my foot and I release the power of God in my foot. And I know that he's faithful to heal, but this process is different than this process right and when I was going to Bible school and the first year I went we could pay every month on it and it was a struggle and I was scraping by and eating macaroni and cheese and broccoli to survive and popcorn and that was it and because that's all I could afford I was just you know determined to have my tuition paid off from the second year before school started so I could focus not have to, you know, scrape by and just have an easy time. And so I really had my faith out there. I was believing God, and I was doing my part, and I got a second job, and it was the worst thing I ever did, and I had no peace, and I had to quit it. And God said, I will take care of your tuition. And that was it. Hope was authored. I was excited. I knew by the end of summer, my tuition was going to be paid for all at once. I was going to go into school. My process was that it was just going to be all paid for before school started, and that's what it was going to look like. And so the first day of school came and went, and guess what? No big check came in the mail, and Hope was dashed. Why? Because he wasn't faithful or because my hope was in my process? My hope was in my process. It didn't anchor me to him. My hope was anchored to my process. And how many of you know that anything that we come up with is subject to change? So I went to Seeking God about that, and I said, what is going on here? You specifically told me you were going to take care of this. He said, I will, every month. I thought, oh, that's not what I wanted. (laughs) That's not what I wanted to hear. But guess what? Every month, he paid my tuition. Every single month. It wasn't my process, but the end result was the same, right? So God doesn't want our hope anchored to our process. He wants our hope anchored to him because he never changes. And what happens when the trust fall fails? He never fails. When things don't go the way that we want them to go, how many of you have ever not gotten the answer? Me too. Lord, what? But my hope isn't even anchored to the answer. My hope is anchored to him. Because no matter what I face and no matter what I walk through, he will walk me through amen amen Amen? are you with me you know brother Hagen told the story while we were in bible school and i will never forget it his he was such a man of faith he prayed for so many people that got healed and risen up off the deathbed and miracles miracles people who should have been in the grave the next day that got up and lived long, healthy lives. And so his sister, his own sister, got sick, and he prayed for her, and she died. And he was devastated. And, you know, he, God gave him a vision of heaven, and he went to heaven, and he saw his sister talking to Jesus. And then Jesus walked off, and he was face to face with his sister. And she goes, you... There are reasons, and you don't need to know them. You need to just let this go and stop thinking about it. And there's some things, the Bible says in Deuteronomy, that the secret things belong to the Lord. There's some things that we might never understand about why something doesn't happen here. We live in an imperfect world, right? We have an enemy of our souls who's trying to steal our faith, He's not just trying to steal our life. He's trying to steal our faith. And he'll use whatever he can to steal our faith. That's why it is so important that our hope is not anchored to anything but him. Anything but him. Because we need our faith. We need it and God needs it. He needs us to know him. He needs us to trust Him. And it's not even just about us. We get to practice on our needs and our lives. But there's a world out here that needs our faith. They need our prayers. They need us to believe that what we say is going to happen. They need us to be releasing the power of God into this earth. How many of you can look at this world and say they need the power of God? You know, I can't tell you how many times in the last... However, many months in between working and answering emails, if I have any kind of downtime when I wake up in the morning, aren't you going to release power? Aren't you going to release power? When are you going to release my power? I need you to release my power. It needs to get out there. He needs us releasing His power. So, what do we do when it doesn't look like God is moving in our government, in our nation? Do we stop? Do we complain? Do we try to get him out of office? Maybe. (laughs) That doesn't actually sound like a bad idea. But (laughs) even more effective, even more effective than that, even more effective than a petition or a protest is releasing the power of God out of our mouths into this world. He's got a plan and he needs us to bring it from heaven to earth. He has spoken, you know there's more promises in the word about the second coming of Christ than the first. Oh, I wish we had more time. I just have to do a small group. I have to do a 10-week series or something. Who's with me? <laughs> oh there we gotta go because we're late but um so what do you do when it doesn't look like god is moving You release the power of God. You don't let the enemy stop you. You keep your hope anchored to him and say, I don't care what I see. I don't care what I hear. No, it's the sound of the abundance of rain. I don't care if I don't see it. You can make it rain without clouds. I don't have to understand it. You are God and you can do it. Amen. 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 Who's with me? Amen. Amen. Father, we just thank you. Oh, we're so excited about your power. We're so excited about your word and the anointing that it contains. I'm so excited that when we speak your word, it's just as powerful as when you spoke it. And I pray that this will become a revelation on the inside of everyone who hears it, that your word like a fire shut up in our bones needs to come out and release power into this nation. We need a revival in this nation, Father. We cry out for it. We release your power towards it father hallelujah Mm. even so come lord jesus (laughs) you know when we pray come lord jesus that's not a selfish prayer john prayed it it's the very last prayer in the bible come lord jesus because when you pray those three simple words it puts pressure on everything that needs to happen to make that happen simple prayers are powerful they are power we need to stop hallelujah father you're so good we just give you glory and honor in jesus name let all the glory be to you let your power flow through us this week let your fire flow out of us this week let everyone we come in contact with this week experience your presence and your power because we're releasing it father in jesus name Amen. Amen. Anything else, hon? Okay. Well, you're dismissed. We'll see you all on Sunday. Oh, wait.